Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 jesus purchased you with his blood hanging upon a cross paul says i'm jealous for you with a jealousy because i've betrothed you as a pure chaste virgin to one who is to come to the christ i've engaged you to jesus paul said in ephesians chapter 5 paul said that that husbands should love their wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit as a guarantee in our hearts. That word seal, it's a mark of ownership. It's a mark of attesting to authenticity, saying that this is someone who's real, right? It was a stamp or a seal that they would put on property, saying that this belongs to me. And in the same sense, God has given us the Holy Spirit. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit and said, here, I'm giving you the Spirit as a seal, as a sign of ownership, that you are betrothed to me, that you are my bride, just like an engagement ring. You are engaged to me. That Spirit was given as a seal, as a guarantee, as a promise that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to bring with him something even better. You are the bride of Christ. This is your sense of belonging. Again, we're discussing this. We're saying there's some spiritual senses that God has equipped you with. You need to take in the stimulus from these spiritual senses, and you need to make a decision how you're going to respond to that spiritual environment. Your first sense is a sense of belonging. Your second sense is a sense of purpose. Read on with me in Romans chapter 7. Again, looking at the second portion there of verse 4. You belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead. Look at this. In order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we should serve in a new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. Your second sense is a sense of purpose. God says to you, you belong to me, you belong, you're a part of my body, you're a part of my bride, you're to be connected to me, you're a part of the sheepfold, but secondly, he wants you to see today, is you need to have a sense of purpose, that there's a reason for your being here. People struggle with this, especially in times like today, where maybe you have a little bit too much free time, and maybe your schedule has come to a grinding halt, and maybe your social life isn't what it used to be, and it's caused a lot of introspection, and a lot of digging deep, and a lot of looking down deep into your heart, and that question is bound to come up in each of us at some point in times in our life, and the question is, what am I here for? 
Why am I here? What purpose do I serve? Well, here, this text is telling you, you're here to bear fruit for God. That is your purpose. Again, Jesus says, if you're not connected to me, you can't bear fruit. If you're not connected to me, your life cannot be fruitful. But your purpose here today is to bear fruit. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 8. He said, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. My Father's glorified. People's eyes are turned to him. He receives the attention that he deserves when you bear fruit. You're shining a spotlight on your Father in heaven when people see you bearing fruit. This is what the text is saying. When that happens, you prove to be a follower of mine, Jesus says. Now, interestingly, that word prove is the same word in the Greek that we saw for the word belong. The same word that we see in the Greek for the word to be born again. It's the same word to have a sense of belonging, to be born, that you are there proving that you're a part of God's family, that you're connected to him, that you're a part of that vine. You prove your place. You are meant, listen to me, you are meant to bear fruit. Jesus says this in John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. The word means to select. It means to set aside, to say, I'm choosing you over someone else. I'm choosing you over something else. I've selected or elected you for this purpose. You didn't choose me. I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. I've appointed you. I've specified a specific task. I've given you this purpose in life to go and to bear fruit is what Jesus is saying. You are meant to bear fruit. That is your purpose. That should be your sense of purpose today. And so if you're not bearing fruit, you should ask yourself this morning, why? If I don't see fruit on my branches, why? Why is that? Why is that happening? Why am I not being fruitful? Why am I not able to bring glory to God through a fruitful life? Am I not connected to him like I should be? Am I not connected to the body the way I should be? Am I not functioning as a part of the bride as I should be? Am I maybe that one of the 99 that have gone astray? Is that why I'm not bearing fruit? Why am I not bearing fruit and bringing glory to God? Right? This is your purpose. The question is whether or not you're fulfilling your purpose. For some of you, Jesus alluded to this in Mark chapter 4. He said that some seeds have been sown along the ground and the the weeds come up and they choke out, the thorns come up and they choke out the fruitfulness of some of the good seed that I've sown. And he said this very specifically. He said, those who've been choked out, the seeds that have been choked out by those thorns are those whose life has become distracted by the cares of this world and the riches of this world. Are you not bearing fruit today because you're distracted by the world? Because your purpose is to bear fruit for God. And if you're not bearing fruit for God and bringing God glory today, you won't have a sense of peace. You won't have a sense of purpose. So you're meant to bear fruit. Secondly, I want you to understand you're meant to live differently. Your life should look differently than the rest of the world. Did you see that here in this text? He says in verse 6, Now we have been released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we might serve in a new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. You're supposed to live differently now that you've been delivered from the law. You're supposed to live differently now that you've been delivered from the power of sin. You cannot go on living the same life. 
Paul said that you have to put off the old man. It's like unclothing yourself from the old man and then clothing yourself in the new man. That's what you're meant to do, to live a different kind of life. Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, I want you to read this in its entirety later, he contrasts the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, we're to bear fruit to bring glory to God. There's a contrast between the works of the flesh what it looks like when we're living under the law, what it looks like when we're living according to sin's power and and presence over us. No, we can't live that life any longer. Now our life is no longer bound or no longer evidenced by works of the flesh. Our life should be evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit, right? Read what that list is later and see which ones of those maybe you struggle with. Galatians chapter 5. But here, this is what I want you to see. Look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 10. Paul says this, walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, that you should walk in a manner that is worthy of God, right? That it should be a fitting walk, that when God sees your walk, he says, that walk is worthy of following after me. That is a walk like my walk. I can see my image in my child. I can see them following after me. They really are my disciple in the way in which they're walking. Now, if you've been watching the news at all, you can see that there are people, TV personality after TV personality, sports icon after sports icon, that are being kind of cut loose by their organizations, by the television stations, or or by their sports teams, because they're not representing the brand well. They're dragging the name of the TV station or the sports team through the mud. And so teams and organizations, they're cutting loose these people saying, you're not walking in a manner worthy of our brand. I wonder how many of us are doing this with the Lord this morning. And we're not walking in a manner that is worthy of the high calling to which we've been called. Right? That we're dragging the name of the Lord through the mud because of the life that we're living. We're still succumbing to those desires of the flesh, the works of the flesh. We're not living by the fruits of the Spirit. We're not responding to the fruits of the Spirit. There's a problem there. You've been made to live differently. You should be living differently. Again, Paul says here very evidently, he says that you should be walking in a new way of the Spirit, not like the old written code right? There's something that happened, and and this was promised in Jeremiah chapter 31. Let me read it for you. God promises to the prophet Jeremiah in accordance with this prophetic word. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and brought them or bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, they shall be my people. I'm going to write my word on their hearts. And this promise was specifically for the nation of Israel. But I believe that this applies to you, the church, as well today, that God is going to write his law on your heart. See, the law is there. Laws are necessary for people who have wicked hearts. The only reason why we have laws and the only reason why the law keeps growing and there's more and more laws on our books is because people keep finding new ways to do detestable things. People only need the law when their hearts are wicked. But if God comes and he writes that law, if he writes his will, if he writes his heart on our heart, We no longer need the law. We no longer need to be told what to do and what not to do because the law is right there in us. We want to do what God's heart is. We want to perform his will. We want to follow after him. 
right? So he says, you should be walking in this new way. If you're walking in this new manner of the Spirit, if my law is written on your heart, you don't need a written code anymore. You don't need to be told what to do and what not to do by some document because I'm in you, I'm within you, I'm dwelling within you, and my Spirit is telling you how to live. My Spirit is telling you where to go, right? I want to live in that new manner, not according to the old written code. Again, to contrast this, it makes no sense to me why day in and day out people continually choose to follow after the way of the law. Again, the old covenant, another word for covenant is promise or testament. That's why we call it the Old Testament and the New Testament, the old covenant, the new covenant. That old testament, that old promise, that old covenant, it was conditional. God said, if you do this, then I will bless you. If you keep this list of laws, then I can bless you. But if you don't, you will be judged. It was conditional. But the new covenant, the covenant that Jesus offers in his blood, the covenant that he gives to you is unconditional. Jesus died for the sins of the world. There's nothing that you have to do to earn God's favor. He's already accomplished that for you. You can rest in that fact. You can rest in that truth if you'll just receive it. Why would we continue to live under the old written code, which is a list of rules that say, if you mess up, then you'll be judged when we can live under the Spirit and we can walk with God and we can stay connected to Him and we can find purpose and we can be fruitful and we can bring God glory. Your life should look different. You should have this kind of purpose. So we see there the sense of belonging. I am connected to you. I belong to the Lord. I belong with his people. We see a sense of purpose so that not only do I belong, but I have a purpose for being here. I'm supposed to bring God glory through my fruitfulness, through the life that I live. I should point people to the Lord. The third sense I want you to take a look at here is a, a sense of sin. Look at what Paul says in Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. Again, people want to blame the law. Listen, the law is the problem. The law told me I couldn't do these things, and that's why I, I am what I am. That's why my life is a mess. It's because of the law. No, your life is not a mess because of the law. Your life is a mess because you're a dirty, rotten sinner. Now, let me kind of portray this for you the best way I know how. There's two signs you're going to see. The first sign I want you to see is this no swimming sign. Pull up this no swimming sign. Like, no swimming, all right? Now, this is a law. This is a rule. Do not go out and swim in this ocean. Do not go out and swim in this water. And there are some of you out there right now who this is your attitude. You see a sign like this and you say, how dare they tell me that I can't go and swim in that water? Do they know who I am? Do they know what kind of swimmer I am? Do they really believe that I can't swim in that? I'm going to go swim in that water just because it says I can't, right? There's some of you who would act that way, but look at this next picture. Now, if the picture was this and says, look, don't swim in this water because there's raw sewage in this water, you're not going to blame that law. You're going to thank that law. Say thank you because if I hadn't seen that sign, I would have gone out and it would have been disgusting, right? The law is warning you that if you follow after that sinful attitude, if you follow after the flesh, death is going to come. If you sin, death is on the doorsteps. But yet we still look at this, and instead of looking at it like that warning saying, don't approach the water, we still look at that law and we say, you know what, I want to try it out. Does the law really know better than I do? Does God really know better than I do? And we want to test the waters, don't we? 
See, Paul's here saying, some of you are going to say that the law is sin. No, the law isn't sin. You're the sinner. The law is good. The law is just. The law is holy. The problem is in you. He goes on. He says this, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not known what sin is. I would have not known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. The law is like a mirror, James says in his epistle. And when you look into the law, there's a reflection that's staring back at you. There's a reflection. You look into the word and right staring back at you, you see all of the faults and all of the sin and all of those fleshly desires and all of those works of the flesh that need to be addressed. And it reveals who you are, right? I would not have known what sin was if the law had not told me what sin was. It's my reflection. It shows me all of those imperfections. Right? He goes on, though, look at that. He says, I wouldn't have known what it meant not to covet if the law had not told me not to covet. It's interesting that Paul chooses the last of the Ten Commandments to signal out. Again, in our flesh, we might try to reason, well, you know what, God? I've never committed murder. I've never committed adultery. I've never lied. I've never stolen. I don't do any of these things, right? Because they're actions. And we might be able to try to excuse and say, you know, I haven't performed any of those things, or I've never walked out any of those lifestyles, or I've never committed any of those actions. But he chooses the last commandment, the commandment not to covet, which is not an action, but it's an attitude of the heart. See, this disqualifies all of us, doesn't it? Again, we might be able to say, I've never committed murder, but Jesus took it even a step deeper. He went a little bit deeper and he dove beyond our actions and he looked at our attitudes. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, you, you've heard it said that you should not commit murder, but I'm telling you that if you just have anger in your heart towards your brother, you're in danger of judgment. See, it's not just the action that Jesus, that God is looking at, it's the attitude behind the heart that is important to God, right? This covetous attitude. Now, not only that, Jesus goes on, he says, you've heard it said you shouldn't commit adultery, but I'm telling you that if you look after a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. It wasn't just the action that was important. It dove deeper than that. It was the attitude of the heart. And Paul is saying, listen, the word, the law has revealed attitudes in my heart that are not right. Paul would say that according to the law, I was blameless. I kept the law, but it wasn't about keeping the law. It wasn't about my actions, my attitudes. My heart is wicked. My heart is wrong, and the law revealed to me that I was wrong. Why is that important? Because unless you understand that your heart is wrong, unless you understand that your attitudes need redemption, you will not look for a savior, right? So again, what a beautiful thing here that he says, I would not have known what it meant to covet if the law had not told me not to covet my inner attitude, my inward thought life, my heart. That's what's important before the eyes of God, not just the actions that I commit. Now, he said there that sin seizing opportunity, that word in the Greek, it means a launching pad, a base from which operations begin, that like sin found its way into his heart through that covetousness, and it launched itself off. It was the, the way in which his sinful lifestyle, sinful attitudes, where that all took root, where that all began, sin seized an opportunity and launched itself off from my heart. Now continue reading with me. He says in verse 9, he says, for I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, Sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, 
killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Right? So I understood what sin was. I had a, a sense of what sin looked like because the law came and showed me. And I tried to live by that law. And he was taught from a young man growing up that if you just abide by the law, if you just perform the law, performance-based, if you can keep the law, then you're going to be right with God. Then it will lead to life. Right? And what he's saying here is, I tried. I did that thing. It promised life to me, but it just brought death because I couldn't keep my heart clean. I could keep my actions right, but I couldn't keep my heart right. And my heart is what led to my death. My heart is what disqualified me from God's goodness. You see, even in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the great Shema, the Hebrews would all have memorized this. In this text, it says that you should take God's law, you should teach it to your children. You should Write it on the back of your hand. Write it on your forehead or, or bind it to your head and that you should write it on your doorposts. They took that so literally that there are still, even to this day, devout Jews over in, in Israel that walk around with phylacteries on their head with, God, with this verse on their heads, on the front lid of their eyes. They wanted to perform. They wanted to keep the law. The law would lead to life, but their hearts disqualified them nonetheless because it isn't my actions, it's my attitude. Right? So sin took this opportunity, seized this opportunity, and sin deceived me. The scripture says that you have to guard your heart, make sure that you are careful because sin is deceitful, against the deceitfulness of sin. The scripture says that Satan himself masquerades like an angel of light trying to lead you astray. And that word deceive literally means to be led astray, to lead you astray. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand, be careful, be ready, because the enemy's going to try to lead you astray, going to try to pull you out of the sheepfold, going to try to disconnect you from the body, going to try to lop you off from the vine, going to separate you from God's people. Be careful, the enemy wants to lead you astray, as far away from the presence of God as you can get. And if you're not careful this morning, sin will deceive you and lead you astray as well. How does sin do this? The first way sin deceives us is by convincing us that it will satisfy. But sin will never satisfy. Think about this just for a second. How many of you out there have ever tried to go on some sort of special diet? And on this special diet, you do really well. And then about the third or fourth day, you know what? You drive through in and out and you get the milkshake, the, the big one, the Neapolitan one with all the different flavors in it. You get the cheese fries. You get a four by, I mean, you go all out because you feel like, you know what? I deserve it. And then just a few minutes later, you feel like garbage because you fed yourself garbage. Sin looks really shiny on the outside. It says it's going to satisfy, but sin will never satisfy. Sin will only lead to a feeling within you of disgust. The author of Hebrews says that sin has fleeting pleasures, that there's the passing pleasures of sin. Maybe you're going to be pleased for just a little while, but eventually you're going to be disgusted. First way sin deceives us is by convincing us it will satisfy. Second way is we believe that we can excuse sin. 
Look at Adam as our example for this. In the garden, God comes and says, what did you do, Adam? Well, it wasn't me who ate it. The woman ate it, and she gave it to me. And we find an excuse, and many of you out there today are trying to excuse your sinful patterns and behaviors because, well, my parents treated me this way, or my spouse treated me this way, or nobody cared for me, or nobody loved me, and it's because of what other people have done to me. That's why I'm a sinner. That's why I'm involved in this sin. You have to stop with the excuses. Sin is deceiving you. There is no excuse once you understand what Jesus has done. You have to lay aside those excuses. We're deceived by our excuses. Third way we're deceived is we believe we can keep sin hidden. We believe that we can continue in our sin in our dark recesses in the corners of our hearts, in the closets of our hearts, and we believe that we can do that sin and no one will ever find out. But do you realize God is watching? Do you realize the scripture says in Numbers chapter 32, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. Be sure your sin will find you out. Your sin will hunt you down, expose you for all the world to see, and it will find you out. You cannot keep sin hidden. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro. Or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977